I don't know uh, if you've noticed, but I love quotes. Uh, and on my notes, typically each week with the message on your handout, there are quotes and there are scripture references. And typically I include just the reference to scripture because if that particular text strikes you, uh, I have it on there so you can look it up uh, during the week. But if you, if you like the quote but it's not there, you kind of lose that. So I want to make sure that I, I have that there. And if you follow me on Twitter, uh, I also I share a lot of quotes there. And some are just because they make me laugh. Uh, for instance, tomorrow morning, I'm going to send this one out. If Monday had a face, I'd punch it, right? I mean, you get that, right? I mean, you, that makes sense, right, <laughs> on a Monday. Uh, at the beginning of each year, there are some quotes I just like to remind myself, like this one, life is like a coin. You can spend it uh, any way you want to, but you only get to spend it once. And that's just a good reminder every, uh, uh, every year. And, uh, and like this one, the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin. That's not a bad thing to remember at the beginning of the year, right? Uh, and, and many of us go into the year with, with, with goals, some of them lofty. But I think all of us understand uh, that lofty goals, even big goals, grandiose goals, they begin, right, with simple steps. And so we wanted to, to start this new year by asking this question, what if? I mean, what, what if my family got along? What if, what if we were out of debt? What if, what, if I, what if I landed my dream job this year? What if, what if the church was actually unified around a mission? What if our city, what if our city was a place of, of hope? Um, listen, uh, and so at, what if at the end of the year, this is interesting, I, and I hope this one will follow you. What if at the end of the year we were able to take our next step as individuals, as the church, and with our community. So for the next three weeks, that's exactly what we're going to be looking at. We'll be asking ourselves and looking at, at what it would look like for each of us, for all of us, and then with our city because of us. So that's really important what we're going to talk about the next several weeks. So if you brought your Bible with you this morning, Matthew chapter 4, uh, on the version notes, you'll find uh, those text, our text there for today. And while you're doing that, if this is your first time with us this morning, thanks for starting your new year with us here at MCC. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here. And we hope that uh, we can be the place that helps you grow in your walk with Jesus or begins that walk. We hope we can be the place that helps you begin the walk as well. And if you're watching online, really appreciate you being there uh, as well. Uh, if you're around the country, if you're on the other side of the world, uh, or if you're somewhere nearby here and just, but you're not able to make it on Sunday mornings, thank you for joining us uh, online. I'm glad that what God is doing in our lives here uh, and through our lives in our community, I'm glad that, that can be an encouragement to you in your faith, your walk with Jesus as well. So really glad. All right, so Matthew chapter 4, here we go. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, he being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So if you've been around MCC uh, very long, you may recognize that these verses are where we get our definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But let's talk about these verses. The Sea of Galilee was the place to be. 
all of Galilee uh, centered around it, and the countryside surrounding it was phenomenally fertile, so fertile that if I lived there, I think I'd probably grow hair. I mean, it was that good uh, there. And in Jesus' day, 30 fishing towns surrounded it. So if you like to fish, especially if you fished for a living, this was the place to be. The historian Josephus says that on any given day on the sea, there would be 230 fishing boats uh, working it. Now, there are two things I want to make sure you know from these verses uh, and this encounter with Jesus. And the first thing I'm going to tell you might surprise you, may catch you off guard. The second thing could shock you. Okay. So one day, Jesus is walking the shoreline when he sees these two brothers, and he says, follow me. And I always thought when I was growing up how weird this was. I mean, Jesus shows up out of nowhere to two guys he's never met before, and he says, follow me, and they do. I mean, doesn't that sound kind of weird to you, that something like that would happen? And it would be weird if that's what happened, but that's not what happened. Uh, and this may surprise you. This is the thing that may surprise you. But when this happens, and this is on your notes, I think, I want to make sure you had this. Peter and Andrew, they already know who Jesus is. This is not so. Uh, for at least some of the time, uh, Jesus has been circulating uh, in this same part of Palestine where Peter and Andrew live. And Jesus is well known for how he taught, for how he would heal people, incurable diseases. He cast demons out of people. And here's what I think. I think these two brothers who worked in the family fishing business would take breaks from fishing. From time to time, they'd put their nets down for an hour or so to go hear Jesus teach. And maybe, maybe they saw him heal someone. Maybe they saw him cast out demons. But if somebody, if I got wind that something like that was happening here in Miamisburg, I'd go see, I mean, at least out of curiosity. I'd have to, wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't you, just out of curiosity, have to find out what's going on. So when Jesus came up to them on the lakefront that morning, Peter and Andrew already know who this guy is. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, uh, uh, in verses 35 to 42, it tells us he had talked to Peter and Andrew previously. So he's already had a conversation with them. Uh, and, and so they know who he is and what kind of man he is. This Jesus is not some sort of, you know, door-to-door salesman making a cold call on these two guys. That's not what this is at all. Here's the second, and it may be a little shocking. Jesus never called Peter and Andrew to be Christians. I want to make sure you get that. He called them to be followers. I'm going to make a distinction this morning. I'll talk about this in our first step class, which Adam is teaching this morning, actually right now. And uh, because I think the distinction is important, especially in our culture. So I, I say this because technically it's true. So it's technically true because... Jesus' followers weren't even called Christians until Acts chapter 11, where Jesus has already gone back to heaven. And, uh, and so they were called Christians for the very first time at Antioch. But this is, this is after Jesus has completed his earthly ministry and has gone back to heaven. And that's why, that's why when we describe what a disciple is, by the way, if you don't know what the word disciple means, disciple means teacher, or I mean, excuse me, student, uh, who, a student who wants to be like their teacher or their master. We see the word is all over the New Testament, uh, but that's literally what it means. A disciple is someone who wants to be like their master or their teacher. So it's a three-part definition that we give to the word disciple. And here's the first part. This is why I tell you all of that. It's because a disciple is someone who's following Jesus. I want to make sure you get that this morning. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 4:19 when he looks to the brothers and he says, follow me. 
That's, listen, how many, so how many of us have ever followed someone? Maybe you played follow the leader when you were a kid. Maybe you fought, maybe you, you know, you're the car, the second car in line. You're following someone somewhere. Maybe, maybe you've been stalking. No, don't, don't. Uh, uh, but when you were following somebody, were you in front of them or behind them? Okay, not a trick question, by the way. Not a trick question. Were you in front or behind? Behind. Okay, so this, the first two words of Jesus are this simple uh, invitation. And it indicates an acceptance here of who Jesus is. Between our ears, his authority and his truth. Following Jesus means that we recognize he's in the front. And we have to put ourselves behind him. He's the one who initiates. He's the one who's guiding our path. He leads. We follow. Following Jesus means we acknowledge that. And you've heard me make the distinction before, uh, but I, wanna, I really want this to be ingrained in our minds. But there is a difference between going to church and following Jesus. There's a big difference. You can go to church without ever following Jesus, but you will typically fa- find Jesus followers at, as the church, as the church. So there's this saying, right? It's on your notes, I think. You can go to church or you can be the church. And there's a difference between those two. And I just want to make sure we get that because there's a big difference. Look at Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus is talking to his what? Disciples. So he's talking to students who want to be like him. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. So as Jesus reveals who he is, people had to decide whether they were going to follow him or not. And what's interesting is that many people in our day seem to be taught that if you accept Jesus as Lord and leader of your life, he will fulfill all of your wishes and make all of your dreams come true. And all you have to do is tell him what you want, and he will make it happen for you. He never said that. Just to be real clear here. That's not what Jesus promised. In Jesus' definition, a disciple is someone who knows him and follows him. He is who he is. Take it or leave it. Those are the two choices that you have when it comes to Jesus. So disciples are first changed here, which means they understand, right, who Jesus is, or, or at least to some degree they're beginning to understand and accept him for who he is, not just who we want him to be, but who he has revealed himself as, and they give him authority in their life as the leader of their life. And I know that every week there are people here who have not made that decision for Jesus to be in charge uh, of their life. And some of you have come every week, and I just want to say this to you. If that's you in the room this morning, I really appreciate you being here, that this can be the place where you, f- you feel safe, uh, maybe not always comfortable, but safe, in trying to figure out if this whole Jesus thing is real or not. But I do want to give you a heads up that I was made aware of not that long ago. And I did not know this. I shared it, I think, last year for the first time. The longer you attend a church without making a decision about who Jesus is in your life, the less likely you are to make that decision. And I don't know what all the dynamics are, but it scares me to death. Because I think maybe what happens is that people get comfortable with where things are. 
I mean, you come to church, and so you're around nice people who are doing nice things, and you get involved with doing nice things for other people. But let me be harsh for just a moment. Going to church doesn't get you into heaven. Jesus does. Jesus gets you into heaven. You can't sing enough songs. You can't listen to enough messages to get into heaven. Although you would sure think if you said to Jesus, listen, you know who I had to listen to on earth, right? Have you ever heard Tuttle speak? I mean, seriously, that should get me something, right? Listen, you, can't give, you cannot give enough money to get into heaven. What gets you into heaven is when you surrender your life to Jesus. And if you've been around, again, MCC very long, you have heard us share this before. Because it goes, all, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible when creation occurred. Listen, we were created to have a relationship with God. That's the way it was from the very beginning. But something happened uh, that separated us from God, and that something is sin. And sin creates this barrier between us. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, listen, and, and since we know, or at least some people get a sense that there is a God, we try, we do what we know how to do to get over there. We go to church, we sing the songs, we have a Bible, you know, uh, and, and we do what we can. But what we find out is that none of us, none of us is good enough on our own. So each time we fall short, and the reason this is a problem, and we know it, is, is because if this separation lasts forever, if it goes beyond our lifetime here, it's a place called hell. Hell is what it is called when it lasts forever, all right? And so we don't want that. The good news of Christianity is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for our sins. We had a sin debt. We could not pay. Jesus came to pay it. Uh, and, and his cross acts as a bridge that if we just, if we'll cross over this, we have this relationship. And so I just want to stop for a moment and, and ask you. So this is the, just, I'm not, you're going to have to raise your hand. You're, nothing like that. But which side of this equation are you on right here? Which side of the cross are you on? And I want to tell you this. If you find yourself over here still this morning, and my assumption is some of us are because we've never made the decision, and I'll share the decision in a moment. But we're over here, and here's what I want you to understand. If you find yourself over here, I want you to understand this. All of us were over here at one time or another in our lives. Every one of us started over here. It's just that some of us have made it, not all of us, but some of us, many of us, maybe most of us in the room have made the decision that we wanted to be with God. And the Bible describes it as a three-step decision process that we make. And so the decisions are, number one, you need to believe that this is true, that Jesus did come, that he did, that that. Christmas is real, Easter is real, Jesus came to die for you on the cross. John 3, 16, one of the most memorized verses in the Bible says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. So number one, you have to believe, is that true or not? Have you determined whether that's true or not? The second thing uh, that the Bible says you need to do is repent. Repent is just a Bible word that means you take ownership. You tell God, it's, this, this is on me. It's, it's not your fault. It's not my mom or dad's fault. It's not my cousin. It's not whoever's fault. It's my fault. I'm embarrassed, but I admit it. And I it. That's why in Acts 3, uh, we read, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be what? Wiped out, blown up, destroyed, obliterated. 
and there may be times of refreshing that come from the Lord. The third step is that you need to be baptized. And Acts 2.38 tells us that as a physical sign of the decision that we have made, uh, that we need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And we are also told that we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been thinking about that, and I know some of you have because you've talked to me about this a little bit, Listen, we'd love to help you make that decision. And if you've never talked to us, we'd love to, if you want to have a conversation, we'd love to talk to you about this. And let me, any time, any time you want to talk about it, listen, this is why we're here. We would love to talk to you about this. So, listen, what if, what if, what if you've never made this decision before in your life? What if you've never determined to make Jesus the leader of your life, but you want to change the direction of your life? What if you, what if this is the... I decide to put my life in Jesus' hands. What if? I mean, what if this is the year? that What would happen in your life? What would happen, do you think, in your home? What would happen at school or at work? What if? And to be clear, listen, Jesus is not looking for church members. I just, I'm going to be real clear about that. He's looking for people who offer up a total sacrifice of their lives. For Peter and Andrew, and this is on your notes, this was not a call to change careers, although they'd go from fishing to, uh, you know, they became missionaries. Uh, it, was, it was a call to center their whole lives on following Jesus. This next sentence is really important. Following Jesus defined their whole life from that point forward. Regardless of what they did for a living, this is what defined their whole life going forward. Don Everts in his book, Jesus with Dirty Feet, a down-to-earth look at Christianity for the curious and skeptical, wrote this. So let me read it to you. He wrote, Jesus was not a Christian. He never asked anyone to become a Christian. He never built a steepled building, never drew up a theological treaty, never took an offering, never wore religious garments, never incorporated for tax purposes. He simply called people to follow him. That's it. That's it. Despite its simplicity, that's it. He called people to follow him. It's never more than Jesus' call, follow me, and a response, dropping familiar nets and following in faith this sandaled Jewish man. It's never more than that. 2,000 years of words can do nothing to the simple, basic reality of Christianity. These first steps taken by those two brothers, Peter and Andrew's theology is as pure as it gets. Jesus said, follow me, and we did. Listen, it was not a call. Just to be clear again, it's not a call to change that part of like your belief part of your life and start believing certain things. It's not a call to change the behavior part of your life and just start doing certain things. Follow me is a call to change your whole life. And Jesus' issue to you and me today is the same as it was that day. Follow me. That's what he's calling us to. And that's a far cry from what people think of when they hear the word Christianity or Christian. And I've said this before, but I think it's good to remind each other. You and I both know why this has happened. This has happened because it's hard to follow Jesus. Don't you find? Aren't some of the things, it's not that you don't know what he wants. It just doesn't line up always with what you want. And sometimes you win. You allow yourself to win. It always has been hard to follow Jesus. And I, listen, I think there are people who started out following Jesus, but it became difficult, and they ended up just going to church. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's, I'm not making a judgment on someone. I'm asking you to examine yourself. They didn't mean to because they started out following Jesus. They didn't mean to. It just sort of happened that 
in the end of all things, they just kind of went to church. But what if, what if today you figured that out for yourself and you determined that wherever you land on that spectrum of which side of the cross that you're on, wherever you are on that spectrum, what if you decided, what if you decided today, I will follow? Which takes us, by the way, to the second part of our definition of what a disciple is. A disciple, a student who wants to become like their teacher, is someone who is being changed by Jesus. Which is what Jesus says next to the brothers, by the way. Follow me and I will make you. I will make you. Listen, when you read the Gospels, you study the life of Jesus, we find that his followers, the 12, were not spiritual giants. They were, they were people just like you and me. They were selfish. They were rude at times. Sin, they had sinful struggles just like we all have. So not only did Jesus invite them to follow him, but he told them that he was going to change them. And I want to be real clear on your notes. He was taking them as they were, but he made it clear he intended to shape them. Responding to this call of Jesus to follow him means allowing him to unmake us and then remake us into his image. And to be clear, again, being changed is not a one-time act that occurs at your baptism, although there is a change that happens there. This change I'm talking about begins there and happens every day for the rest of your life. Jesus continues to change us for the rest of our lives. This is why Paul would write when he wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So this is where our faith goes from here to here. Because usually it starts here, but we need it to drop here. When we're being changed by Jesus, it's more than just what we know. It's who we're becoming. Because even though Jesus loves you right where you are, Jesus, listen, Jesus loves you right where you are today. He loves you right where you are. He just loves you too much to leave you there. And I hope you can hear that. That's why Micah 4 says this. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his path. We are here to grow in this relationship with Jesus so that regardless of how long you've been following him, minutes, hours, weeks, for some of us, decades, we have been following him. We are always, all of us, are always looking for our next step because he's going to teach us what the next step in our pathway is. That means that our faith, by the way, is not about sitting in this room. It's about who, are, who you are becoming and how you live it out outside of this room. And I cannot, I said this last fall, I cannot take your next step in your faith for you. No one can. We cannot make you take your next step. We, we can't. Sometimes we want to, but we can't. And it frustrates both of us. But what we can do is we can re- create a path. That will help you know what your next step needs to be so that when you make the decision, when you're ready to take the next step, when you want to follow Jesus and you know what your next step is and how to take it, and we can help you take that step. So while our journeys may not be identical, they are similar. There are practices that each of us need to put into play if we want to mature. We won't necessarily do it in the same way. We won't necessarily do it in the same order, and that's okay. But we can help you determine what your next step is. And one part of the change is what does belong in your life. There are things that belong in your life. And one practice that everyone, 
Everyone who's growing as a follower does. There's one thing that is consistent across the board. If people are following Jesus, there is one practice that they all have in common. Can you imagine what it is? Let me give you a hint. It involves this. This is a Bible. Everyone who is following Jesus and growing in him takes time to read their Bible outside of a church service, and they get to the point where every day they are looking at his word and reflecting on it so they can learn to be reminded of who God says he is, who he says you are, and explains to us, helps us understand the kind of lives that his children live. And another part of the change that occurs are the things in our lives that don't belong there. And we all have those, which is why Paul would write to the church in Rome, two Christians in Rome, that, listen, all of us were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all struggle with sin. All of us do. Some of us are disciples who are struggling. We want to be like Jesus, and we know these are things that we ought not be doing. Some of us are non-disciples, non-followers. You've made no commitment to Jesus, but, but you're in church, and you do know that there are areas in your life that are not. You already know. There are areas of your life, you, they're not where you want them to be. And you're pretty sure you're not living the kind of life that Jesus wants his children to live. We want to be the place where healing begins. And it begins with being honest with ourselves. So on your notes it says this, we want MCC to be a place where you can be honest about who you are, but looking forward to becoming who Jesus created you to be. So part of being a disciple means that you know what you know is moving to your heart and causing change in your character. So I've given you two-thirds of the definition of how we define a disciple. I'll give you the other third next week, teaser, so you want to come back, right? Uh, But your next step this morning... The next step in your faith this morning, if you have just begun checking this out, if you are new to this whole idea, if you don't know how the Bible works, you don't know where the on switch is, you don't know how to work the thing, you couldn't find anything unless someone showed you. If that's you, what if? What if you determined to keep coming and find out if this is real? Realizing that it's not just what we say around here. It's how you see us live our lives. What, what, if, what if you make that decision to keep coming? What if, what if you've been coming and, and the, you, you, you've begun to believe and you kind of understand? What if, what if you made a first-time commitment to Jesus? What if that's your next step? You, you know, you, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe he died for your sins. You trust him with that. That's all you need to know to get started. You'll learn everything else as you move along, just like the rest of us. What if you make that first time step? The Bible says we make our commitment to him in the waters of the baptistry. What if you did that? What if you made that decision? What if your commitment to follow? If if you have been following Jesus and you love him, what if you made the commitment? What would happen if you made the commitment to spend time in his word, to read what it says, and reflect on what it says. Not just read it, but reflect on it 
as well. You know, there's some of us who keep mentioning the YouVersion Bible uh, because it's electronic, it's on your phone or whatever you have, your tablet, whatever. Uh, and there are reading plans on there. If you've never read, it, that's a very daunting task. There are reading plans that are three days long, five days long, ten days long. There's several of us who are doing a through the Bible in a year. Some of us are doing the Bible in three years. And it gives you a, a path to follow as you read. So you don't have to make it up. You don't have to wonder. You can just follow that path. But what if you did that? What if you made that? What would happen in your life if you made that commitment? Listen, we've got a couple of events coming up. What if you have a little boy? This is an event for little boys who's in, who are in nursery C through pre-kindergarten. So if you have someone like that, you probably know because they're there right now. What if, what if they came to our event uh, called God's Warriors? Because even at a young age, we're trying to help our children understand that God loves them and they are called to be his children. What if they came to that? Because we're going to be sharing with them from Ephesians chapter 6 about the, the, the armor of God. What, what, what if? What if you brought your child to that? Uh, what if, as an adult, you determined to come to our midweek connect? Six to eight people around the table. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. It starts June 23rd. It is a great opportunity to, uh, if you have never done this before, to learn how to read and to reflect and build relationships. What if, what, and that's for all believers across the spectrum, what if you made the decision to do that? How would that change your life? What would happen this year because you made that decision? Listen, I love this quote at the bottom of your insert. St. Augustine said this, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So that's a lot, and you know what? You need a moment to think about what this means. And so we come to this time of communion. Every week we come to a time of communion in our service, and it's designed to intentionally make us stop and to think about what Jesus did on the cross for us. And is that real or not? And did I really have something? I, did I really need him to die for me? Did I really have sin in my life? And if, if I did have sin, if I do have sin in my life, and Jesus did have to die for me, what does that mean about how I need to live my life moving forward and who I am and who I'm becoming? How does it, every, every six, seven days, we, every seven days we have the opportunity to stop and recalibrate our thinking to be reminded of how serious this is and who God calls us to be, that we had a sin problem that we couldn't pay, a debt we couldn't pay, and Jesus paid for it on the cross. And in response, he calls us to follow him. So we receive these emblems. In just a moment, you'll receive the emblems that remind us of his body and his blood. Body broken for us on the cross, blood shed for us on the cross. And we take these, we receive them, and we take them each week that we might remember. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. We do this to remember, which helps us determine what do we need to do next as we follow him. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for the challenge of following you. Thank you for the gift, Jesus, that you would readily give yourself for us. That's a hard pill for us to swallow sometimes. That you would have to die. Not that you could say some magic words and may wave a magic wand or something, but that you gave your life for us. 
we might have hope. God, as we consider that now and as we take these emblems that draw us right back 2,000 years ago to a cross where your father, where your son paid the price that we might believe and repent and make our commitment to you in the waters of baptism and walk following you the rest of our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for guiding us, knowing our hearts, knowing our weaknesses. And we come to this moment all too aware of our weaknesses because we all still struggle with sin, regardless of what side of the cross we're on. We all still struggle with sin. But Holy Spirit, you guide us and you help us. And so we pray now, even as we take these emblems, that we would be aware of your presence in our lives and in this room, that we might be determined again today, this week, to follow Jesus. And we pray this in his precious, holy, and powerful name. Amen.